0: Drunk Botany, Episode Nine. Do, 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 do. Hoist a glass and prepare to enter a world of gardens, brews, botany, and booze. Here's your host, Bill Cratsham. Before we get started, here's a note from one of my affiliates. Alcohol is a poison. And if you don't partake responsibly, it will kill you. If you've been picking your poison today, don't get behind the wheel. If you absolutely need to get somewhere, why not utilize the services of the Lyft app? If you're new to the program, have your first ride on me. Just use my referral code, DBOTANY, and arrive alive. Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of Drunk Botany. I'm your host, Phil Creation. Joining me today is Hannah Burgess. She is the beekeeper's daughter. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do?
1: Uh, Yeah, so my name is Hannah Burgess, like you said, and um, I own a company called The Beekeeper's Daughter, and we supply local raw honey to the community along with um, lots of other types of honeys.
0: That's exciting. Do you keep bees yourself?
1: No, my family does. Your Um, family does? Yeah, my family has, we have... um, yeah. several thousand beehives. And uh and my family does it all and I just do the bottling and the retailing and the wholesaling and things like that.
0: So that makes you actually the daughter of the beekeeper. It does. I see where you got the name from then. Yes. Well, aside from honey, it's been brought to my attention via the internet that you have uh, a new craft honey soda. Yes. It's a venom lemon basil. And uh, I'm going to try to make a cocktail with it. Okay. All right. And what I'm I'm using is I'm kind of going along the lines of a Lynchburg lemonade kind of thing. But instead of sour mix and soda, I'm going to use your lemon basil venom. And I have in it a little bit of bourbon whiskey. Okay. And a little bit of triple sec, which I also spilled on your table because I'm just that inconsiderate of a guest. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that is good. Yeah, you get a nice um, vanilla note from the bourbon, and then the basil is really good. So, not having kept bees yourself, I still assume that you know a fairly large amount about bees.
1: Yeah, yeah, we I definitely know a lot.
0: So, can you talk to me about how bees as pollinators, perhaps?
1: Uh, yeah, bees are really great pollinators. They... Um, you they pollinate like the main, you know, big plants like apples, watermelons, um, tomatoes, things like that.
0: I just wanted to ask a little bit about modern agribusiness and our whole food culture doesn't really work without bees. Um, you'll have acres and acres and acres of land that grow nothing but wheat or nothing but um, tomatoes, as mm-hmm. you said before. Or you know, isolated crops, if you will, monocultures, mm-hmm. and then since these are all controlled, I assume that they need to get bees there that mm-hmm. wouldn't find themselves there anyway. Right. Uh, but I also heard that there are some people who are kind of like traveling beekeepers. Do you know anything about that idea?
1: Yeah. So there's two different kinds of commercial beekeepers in the world. You have your honey producers and your pollinators. We are commercial beekeepers, however, we are honey producers. We don't um, take our bees to, like, almond groves and things like that. We do move our bees. We take them down to Florida during the winter um, to do, like, we get, like, the orange blossom, the south palmetto, things like that. But we leave them more out, like, um, kind of out, like, in the middle of nowhere, like, almost state parks, things like that, um, where the honey producers, they're not getting any honey from them. They're feeding them a lot of syrup to keep them, like, surviving, and then they... They cheat. Yeah, well, because they don't make a lot of honey because they're on, like like almond trees and things like that you don't get produce a lot of honey from almond trees they're pollinating on them but they're not bringing in a lot of nectar so these pollinators move around a lot more like as soon as they're done pollinating one crop they'll move them again and so forth so so they move around quite a bit two different kinds of businesses you know the sad thing is the pollinators get hit a lot harder with like colony collapse and things like that because they're exposed to a lot more uh pesticides and things like that you know and all that crazy stuff where we're not quite as um, we don't, we don't get as exposed to quite as much. And we have like problems. You get like mites and things like that, the hive, but nothing like the pollinators do. They have a lot more problems.
0: Do you travel with your bees?
1: When I was younger, I did. Uh, when I was little, my mom, you know, we would go back and forth and do that whole thing, but I haven't, not, not in a long time. Not no. in a long time. No. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, can you talk to me a little bit about colony collapse disorder? Like, uh, it was this mystery thing, I want to say 10 years ago, when most people started hearing about it. There was a big panic about it on the news. And it's my understanding that it hasn't actually gone away, but people are not freaking out about it like they used to be. Yeah,
1: I think it was really brought to a lot of attention, and then people just kind of... You Forgot know, all about yeah, it. Yeah, died down about it because it's...
0: Not the thing to be worried about now. Yeah,
1: exactly. Now we have things like North Korea and crazy other stuff going on, but no. Yeah, they. Uh, I don't know a whole lot about colony collapse just because... We haven't experienced anything like that. Uh, I'm we do grateful have, for that. We do have like friends of ours um, who are all commercial beekeepers that have experienced problems with they lost all their hives and things like that. From what I've read and understand you know, talking to these other beekeepers that have had the problem. It has a lot to do with, like, pesticides. And that's that's what a lot of, I believe, beekeepers believe. It's in a lot of things that they're spraying on these
0: other plants. Neonicotinoids?
1: Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yes. Um, Honestly, yeah. So I don't don't know. I don't know a whole lot about it, to be honest.
0: Well, I have prepared a second cocktail that I'd like you to try. Now, I took here a dry red rind. What we're going to try here is... um, An old Greco-Roman cocktail, in days of yore, used to be unsafe to drink the water. So one of the ways that people would do that is they would ferment grapes into wine. And grapes in those days, uh, you know, we're talking about the birth of viticulture here. Uh You know, like people... We're just like, oh, grapes, what can we do with these? Right. They just grow someplace. And it turns out, like, the Greeks and the Romans were like, these things are awesome, let's plant them everywhere. Okay. And that's what, like, gave people the ability to um, start experimenting with breeding and how we wound up getting, like, the great wine cultures that we have today. Yeah. But it started out almost as a survival method, was that if the grape juice had spoiled into wine, they found that it created a level of alcohol, which created intoxication. But they also found that it cleaned things, notably like water. So they would mix like uh, small amounts of water with their wine to varying degrees of large amounts. But there was also a proclivity at this period of time since grapes had not had such sugar content developed in them yet to sweeten them. Now this has a lot to do with like mead making and things Mm -hmm. like that because the only thing that um, humans like more than say gold is sugar and sweetness. (laughs) So I mean like if if, again you look as far back as Beowulf, like the first book ever written in the Mm -hmm. English language, it's literally about two things. Gold and honey. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, so they started out, they they built whole cultures around sweetness. Mm -hmm. Grapes again were refined to uh, create more and more sweetness Mm -hmm. in them as well. Uh, and and Michael Pollan wrote a book called The Botany of Desire, and in it he has a whole segment on apples, because apples, like once we got to the New World with Johnny Appleseed and things like that, the notion was to breed apples more and more towards the notion of creating more sugar so that you could eat an apple instead of ferment an apple. A lot of crops were only... Grown and used to turn into alcohol because you couldn't eat them, like right. they tasted. And honey was a rarity. Mm-hmm. You know, you had to fight bees to get it. Yeah. <laughs> you know. In fact, uh, we're. I don't know if Plains is technically part of Wilkesbury, but Wilkesbury has a crest. It
1: does.
0: And on that crest is actually an old tiny beehive. Yeah. Uh, a scap. I think it's called His skep. Skep, mm-hmm. a skep hive. Yeah. And they they would make these out of rope mm-hmm. because back in those old days of doing um, beekeeping, you had to harvest the whole hive. You mm-hmm. killed the colony mm-hmm. to get that little bit of honey, mm-hmm. and it was precious. Now, what the what the Romans would do is they would mix spices mm-hmm. with the water and honey, mm-hmm. and they would dilute that into the wine and. This lives on in some cultures, like the German culture of glue vine and things like that. But some people also make meads in this fashion. But here, if you taste this, this uh, this is actually made with your wildflower honey, and you can taste how it goes from being a dry, dry wine that the grape flavor yeah. really starts to pop. All right, that's fine. That's it's fine. It's good. It is good. I was I was a huge fan. In fact, this is the first time I ever bought honey from you folks. Uh, This is what I wound up doing with it when I was trying to finish off the jar. Oh, okay. You know, like I got to the end and I I, I had made some homemade wine Mm -hmm. and I poured that into what was left of the jar and I stirred it. And I was like, why am I not doing this all the time?
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's good. It almost tastes like has like cinnamon in it or something. I
0: did actually. These are some spices over here, and and I just basically use the same kind of spices that you would normally put in pies or things like that. Yeah. And so I put, I added to boiling water, two cinnamon sticks, mm-hmm. a pinch of nutmeg, and a couple of cloves. Now, the, many people in the winter time will heat this up, but it's also it was originally designed as a cold beverage. I We have this with a dry red, but I also have a dry white wine that maybe we'll test out a little bit later. But in the meantime, I see that you have three honeys here. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an orange blossom, a saw palmetto, and a wildflower honey. Uh, you make all of these?
1: We do. We produce all the honey that we sell. All
0: right. I wanted to know if you would lead me through a tasting. Maybe we'll start with the orange blossom. Like, we'll taste it. You tell me what you know about
1: it. Okay, the orange blossom is our sweetest honey. It's our most aromatic as well. Like when you smell it, we love bottling it because when you bottle it, it smells so good. Um, It's really sweet. It doesn't really taste like oranges at all. People expect it to taste like oranges. It doesn't taste like oranges. It might have like a citrus back flavor, but um, other than that, kind of tingles on your tongue a little bit too when you try it straight. But this is the one that um, when we make our own mead, this is the one we use. We use the orange blossom. So
0: this is, if you were a mead maker, this would be the one that you, as the daughter of the beekeeper, would recommend.
1: Yes, that's the one that we use. We, we, they're all good, but this is the one. I like it stuff really sweet, so I like the, I like this one. My husband makes like a, a dry mead and then like a sweeter one, mm-hmm. and this is the one I like for the sweeter one.
0: That's exciting. We're going to have to do an episode on mead, but uh, if anybody is an aspiring mead maker out there and they wanted to purchase this from you online, mm-hmm. is there a website that they could go to?
1: Yeah, they, they can buy directly from our website at uh, www.beekeepersdaughter.com. And if they're looking for larger amounts, they can always give us a call. Um, our phone number's on our website to order uh,
0: I like it when amounts. businesses work hard to make sure that everybody is happy with the things that they do. Yes. But don't worry about writing that down if you're on the road or anything like that, because there will be a show notes page linked on the website, and uh, I encourage you to check it out and I'm going to taste this orange blossom honey for myself. I'm making something of a mess over here. This is awesome. So I'm gonna do a little bit of this white wine with the orange blossom honey. Because again,
1: you want to try this
0: I encourage you. Now I have heard from a number of different doctors and things like that, that you're not supposed to give honey to infants. Right. What is the story there with that?
1: So, if you, if there's this thing called botulism. It's not very common, but I think it's happened to a couple of children where the, the raw honey, they can't digest it properly, it causes botulism.
0: Causes botulism? Yeah. That is a very real fear. It's, it's kind of like a listeria and lunch meat.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes.
0: Which is like the likelihood of it actually happening is almost nil. It but is, like right. the fact exactly. that it's happened, they have to tell people about it.
1: Yeah, and you know, just in case too, you never want to be too cautious. Yeah, I was We so always stick it on a label and things like that as a, as a just in case. It I waited until my son was a year old to give it to him.
0: I did too. I yeah. had it, you know, I, I had it. As, like, a celebration point, I made a Facebook post in honor of it. I was like, hey, my son has finally graduated <laughs> to the point where he can enjoy honey.
1: Awesome.
0: Like, I'm the kind of guy, I put honey on everything. Like, instead of pancakes, mm-hmm. uh, like, instead of syrup, yep. I always use honey. Yep. It's just my go-to thing. And it's also the only way that I can eat grits. Great. So what is this next one? Oh, this is amazing. Uh, what is this next one, the salt palmetto?
1: Yeah, the salt, I'm going to
0: yeah, absolutely.
1: Oh wow, that's different. Almost has like a nutty flavor or something. It
0: does, but that's not a flavor that really comes out in it when you're drinking it as a dry wine. I see. You know, because mm-hmm. again, all the sweetness in a fermented beverage they ferment it out to dryness, mm-hmm. and then that all goes away. So your tongue picks up on different things depending on what you've been eating. Right. You know. That's good. Uh, in fact, if you uh, if if you ever get a chance to, and you want to have like a nice um, uh, nice Italian meats with. Uh, like Soprasads and salamis and fresh mozzarella cheese, you want to have your your balsamic glaze, but you also want to have a little dipper of honey. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then when you have your red wine with it, all these different flavors from, you know, like the salty to the sweet to the balsamico, it all changes the flavor of the wine as you drink it. So I get Mm -hmm. so excited about that. Um, So let's try saw palmetto. What What is a saw palmetto?
1: So, saw Palmetto is a plant. Uh, it grows down south. It kind of looks like a palm tree, but it's on the ground and it gets a flower and a berry, and it has a lot of medicinal properties to it. Um, you know, that the actual berry does. So, they'll use it for you can buy it like a GNC or whatever. Um but the honey itself I think is it's kind of mild yet it's kind of salty and a little spicy. Oh, I get the salty. Yeah, a little salty. And there is
0: spicy in it. Yeah,
1: and I like it um, this is the one we go to for cooking. This is the one we like using um, like pairing with foods I love it on bread or you know putting in our vinaigrettes, things like that. That's our this is our food one. You know, if making baklava. That's a
0: good one. I don't have a recipe for baklava. That's a good one. All right. So I should look into one. Do you have a preferred recipe that you like to use? No, I just pull it up on Google. Okay. You just pull it up on Google. Yeah. I'll pull one up <laughs> <laughs> and I'll put it in the show notes page in case people want to try it. Yes. Personally, I think that this would also be a viable mead making wine, uh, especially if you're, because of that residual spice, I think it right. depends on what it is that you're putting into a mead. Mm-hmm. Um, and this last one that we have is a wildflower honey, mm-hmm. right? Yes. All right. So we'll go ahead and we'll give that a try.
1: And the wildflowers, uh, that's one of our local honeys. And that one um, tends to have a lot of tree blossoms in it. It tends to get like some locusts and some mass wood and clover, although is a plant. But so that's our most popular honey. It's, it's light, it's sweet, it's floral. Um, it, it seems to be preferred.
0: This is the one that I have on hand and I mm-hmm. put on top of everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, those of you listening to my pancake idea, this is the one to put on your pancakes, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. I think I might be looking at salt palmetto for mm-hmm. later today. So you said this is one of our local honeys. Mm-hmm. Are some of your uh, honeys not necessarily local?
1: Exactly, yeah, because we take our bees to Florida um, during the uh, the winter months from November to March. So uh, the orange blossom and the saw palmetto are not local. But other than that...
0: Which explains why they both taste so exotic.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing, though. I mean, saw palmetto, uh, you rarely see that outside of any of the southern states. We'll have people come up to our stand that are from down south and they'll be like, Oh my gosh, you have saw palmetto and... They just freak out and love it because you don't see it. It's a gourmet honey, really.
0: Yeah, no, I'm mm-hmm. really impressed with it. In fact, I think this was the first honey that I ever bought from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you're everywhere now, mm-hmm. okay? But you didn't used to be. <laughs> you used to be, if you wanted to try the beekeeper's daughter... You had to find you, yes. In, uh, <laughs> in the Wilkesbury uh, Farmers Market is yes. where I found you, but you were at other farmers markets.
1: We were yes. We started at the Wilkesbury Farmers Market. Well, actually, we started. I started doing farmers markets down in Florida because uh, you know, we take our bees down there. So I actually started farmers markets down there. Then I left there, came back up home here, and started doing it here. And um, yeah, we started Wilkesbury, and then we did Dallas, and then we were in Scram- Scranton, and then we went to Tunkhannock. Now we're just in wilkes Dallas, and Tincanic.
0: Well, what's interesting to me about that is, and this was big for me, is you were first made available on tap at uh, Hillside Farms, mm-hmm. which I actually live practically next door to. Okay. Uh, I'm hoping one day to be able to talk to them, but... Then from there, you got in at Wegmans, Mm -hmm. which is where I do almost all of my grocery shopping. So it just became easier and easier. And then shortly thereafter, because I follow you on Facebook, Mm -hmm. I saw that you had opened a brick-and-mortar store, Mm -hmm. which... For the sake of argument, is actually where we are right now. We're within uh, the place. Should I give out the address here? Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you're local, um, where where are we?
1: So our address here is 60 Maffitt Street. We're located in Plains, uh, Pennsylvania, and we're right, um, really close off the cross valley. I think we're 0.7 miles from the from, the, from 309.
0: Yeah, and mm-hmm. I, I, I'd recommend everybody come check this place out. It's beautiful in here. There's a really cool exposed work area so that you can actually see how honey is being used. And it looks like you're putting together, like, a soda bottling section over there. Yes. Do we have things to look forward, other than venom, lemon, basil, in the future?
1: Yes. We're hoping... Uh, we're working on another one right now with ginger hibiscus. I was hoping
0: you were going to do something with ginger.
1: Yeah. So, we're calling it stinger ginger hibiscus. That's our new one. We just started... Um, Making small batches of that. We're getting some good response. And then we're hoping to do a seasonal one after that. You know, things that are in season and do seasonal batches.
0: I can't wait. Mm
1: -hmm. And using local ingredients. That's why we do seasonal local ingredients. Oh,
0: I I, I work for a a chef whose focus is also local Mm -hmm. and seasonal and fresh. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I totally get that vibe. Oh, you have it.
1: Yes, we have. Oh my have God, it. do I get to
0: be? Do I get to be one of the people who tries this?
1: Yeah, you're gonna want it on ice because I didn't cool that one. That one's it's it's gonna be.
0: pretty That's tough. okay because somebody brought me ice cubes that are square shaped, uh, just like I like. The la- it's funny. The last episode I did, I talked about how much I value a square uh, <laughs> ice cube. And I, I, in my show notes days, I actually linked to a place where people could buy square shapes. Because I'm a nerd like that, you know? And sometimes it's like that thing that you see on the Martha Stewart show. You're Mm like, I want that thing. Or like that toy that Alton Brown uses. Yep. And you're like, they never have it at whatever store you go to. I know.
1: That's what happens. All right. It's just a twist off, actually.
0: Oh, yeah. I just, I use a bottle opener for everything because I I tend to bar. Yep. And, um, you just, you tear your hands up. Gotcha. I am actually a sucker for hibiscus. Now, not to spoil anything that is yet to come, but your honey is going to meet some hibiscus in a future episode.
1: Oh, cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it's gingery, too. You can really taste it, ginger. It's pretty spicy.
0: I do like the ginger. Mm-hmm. I think this has uh, the potential to be a really exciting Moscow Mule. Uh, if anybody wanted to get into beekeeping
1: mm-hmm.
0: how hard is that to do?
1: Um, it's 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 hard and it's expensive uh, especially when you're you know because you really have to maintain them it takes a lot of work you got to take care of them um, you it's know, a lot
0: of upfront costs, isn't it?
1: It is, and and bees, um, they're they're not native, you know, to our country, so people don't realize you really have to take you care of them. You have to baby them. You, you kind of do. You got to take care of them, so they require a lot of work. You can't just leave them out in your backyard and forget about them because they require they require work. And uh, I mean, it's not bad that once you get into it, and people love it, you know, they love it. It's just hard here in Pennsylvania because we have such hard winters. And what happens is, um, you know, in the spring and a sudden it really warms up, and then it gets back to freezing again. And yeah, it and they're warms all confused. Up. So the bees get kind of confused, and they tend to leave the hive too early, and then they freeze, and it's sad, so a lot of people will lose their hives over the winter. It's not necessarily their fault. It's our crazy weather's fault. Um, and then unfortunately what happens is you've got to buy more bees and it just keeps going on and on and it becomes an expensive hobby. Do
0: you breed
1: bees? We do. We, we actually raise our own queens and we have incubators and we, we breed all of our That is bees.
0: awesome. So mm-hmm. then when you get another queen, do you sell it to somebody or do you just start a whole second high?
1: Yeah, no, we don't sell any of our we bees. Um, yeah, we, we do all of our own bees and, uh, we don't, we don't sell them
0: that is awesome yeah we put them
1: into new hives exactly
0: so you're just you're constantly growing this uh this business
1: right because sometimes because every year you do have some loss you know like one hive will die from maybe something that got into it like mites or something so every year we make new queens and things like that um it, we call them nukes in the early spring because we might lose 500 hives a year which seems like crazy and then you you Put you, put you make new nukes like a thousand new nukes what's to make a nuke? for those. F- I don't. It's like a baby hive, and it's kind of like a nucleus. Oh, so you think of like oh a, yeah. okay. Yeah, so like it's,
0: that. Like, it's like
1: the baby. Yeah, it's like the baby hive, and it
0: grows. I heard that you have to register all hives with the government. Is that true? Yes. So, what's the process entailed in that? Like, is that is there like do you have to go to a courthouse somewhere? No, what they do just send you
1: paperwork in the mail. Yeah, they, yeah. They, I, I, don't know a whole lot about because my dad does all that. But I know that they do send him paperwork, and we have to get inspected by the Department of Agriculture. They come out and um, not the Department of Agriculture, well, we are for here, but um, there's like every state has their its own bee inspector. So the Pennsylvania State Bee Inspector will come out. They just want to make sure you don't have foul brood and things like that because foul brood is uh, used to be kind of like an epidemic here. Was
0: it something that was contagious?
1: It's contagious and it just kills the whole hive and it just ruins everything.
0: So this is the kind of thing where like that guy who wants to just irresponsibly start a hobby without really learning anything about right. it can pose a real threat, not yes. only to other hobbyists but to professionals like yourself and your family.
1: Exactly, and it's pretty serious when you get it. It's you know you got to burn your hives and it's it's like a oh serious thing. You got you can't just well remove the one hive. You got to if they're near any of them. So foul brood's a very serious thing. So the inspectors will come out to make sure you don't have any signs of foul brood and things like that. Okay. Because now they have it under control.
0: Ah, okay. Mm -hmm. All right, I gotcha. Um, But you would say that, you know, um, the profession of beekeeping is alive and well, and it's not the end of the world that it sounded like a couple of years back.
1: No, and I, I really think that helped a lot, you know, the end of the world with colony clops. Now people, everybody wants to keep bees and help the environment, and I think people are a lot more excited about you know, bees than they ever have before. I remember when I was younger and people would be like, what did your dad do for a living? And I'd say, oh, beekeeper. And they'd be like, oh, that's weird. Now when you say beekeeper, it's like, oh, that's awesome. That's so cool. I do think it's awesome. Right. So it brought a lot of positive attention to beekeeping and honey and um, you know, made the prices of honey go up, you know, everything. It just, it really helped everybody all the way around.
0: Oh, now that you mentioned the prices mm-hmm. of honey going up, I have a scandalous question to ask you about. Sure. There was a thing, and I, I don't I don't remember what late night television show that I saw it on, but China. Mm-hmm. I heard China is making black market counterfeit honey. Talk to me about that. <sighs> like, like it's like something to do with filters and corn syrups and...
1: It's, um, I'm sure, I mean, I don't know exactly that specific thing, but I know that there is a lot of uh, stuff coming in and they, they do it super cheap. My friend went down to, um, where'd she go? It was like Nicaragua or something. And I asked her to pick me up some local honey. She brought it back and my dad tried it and he's like, that's corn syrup. They totally just gypped you. So, I mean, it's, it's a real thing that, you know, people are trying to make fake honey and they're selling it and they're selling it for cheaper, and so people are wanting to buy it like these big companies who buy honey and you know rebottle it and things like that and it's it hurts it hurts the local guys
0: i heard that there was a test and if i can find this test i will mm-hmm. link to it but they had tested like various different types of honeys that you could buy in the mm-hmm. store mm-hmm. and all the local places mm-hmm. places like you uh, and some some of the things that came from like say whole foods and, mm-hmm. and things like that they turned out to have the necessary amount of like um, trace botanicals inside them to indicate that they were in fact real honey. Mm -hmm. But then there were things, um, one of the things that was scandalous that I had heard about was there are types of honeys that maybe come from crops that are contaminated or something like that, and then they just run them through so many levels of filter that they take most of the flavor out of the honey, Mm -hmm. and it obscures the nation of origin that they're from. Mm-hmm. So that then this was used as a mixing ingredient and that most of the cheap honeys that you could buy in the store, mm-hmm. like your store brand mm-hmm. and all that, mm-hmm. was at least half or more of this like uncontrolled, uninspected honey, mm. you know?
1: I, I could I could definitely see that for sure because um, I've been to, um, I'm not going to say the name of it, but there's a really large company in the state of Pennsylvania that does a lot of honey and I know how they filter their honey and it's it's crazy how much they actually remove from the honey and it tastes fairly generic afterwards in my opinion like our honey you can smell it you can taste it It like lingers in your mouth there's a lot of flavor and a lot of people say well how do we know your you know your honey's not raw it's not granulated it does granulate you can just tell by the taste you can tell by the flavor of it you can just taste The rawness, because when you taste like a like you said a store brand honey, like it's a perfect example. It tastes so mild, and it just doesn't have any flavor. It tastes really bland or something. And like you said, it's because they've just removed so much, and the pollen and things like that also give it a lot of flavor. And the
0: pollen is one of those things that indicates where the honey comes from. They analyze it in a lab.
1: Exactly, and the reason, the main reason too, they do that. Besides what you're saying there, is when you remove all that stuff from the honey, it granulates. Like it could take years for the product to granulate. When yeah, because it's there's like,
0: nothing really in there.
1: There's nothing in it, so it takes forever for it to granulate. And people like that. People like going to a store and buying honey on the shelf. That's granular. And it when lasts our, for ten years. It and... lasts for ten years. I mean, we have people bringing our stuff back all the time. Oh, there's something wrong with you. Can see here, some granulated. Yeah. Um, there's something wrong with your honey. It's starting to get cloudy and thick on the bottom, and it's turning a different color. I threw it in the garbage, and I'm like, I don't no! actually have a problem with
0: that. Like, no. in fact, if I have like an English muffin or something, I like to. Like really get the, and and I spread that on like butter. Right. And it will re-melt into honey and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. So that actually brings me to another question. Um, A lot of times you'll see on uh, the bottle, they'll say uh, this honey will eventually granulate, Mm -hmm. just put it in warm water. Right. I never have that work for me. It never turns right back into honey. Uh, (laughs) It doesn't. And I'm I'm always afraid to like heat it because uh, I talked to another guy who is in uh, West Pittston, mm-hmm. and he used to um, make meads as well, mm-hmm. and he used to say, do not boil the water. Right. You know, it's going to ruin all of the aromatics that are associated mm-hmm. with the honey. So I got afraid about heating the honey thereafter. But um, the last time I bought honey, I, I kept it for maybe two years. I got like the biggest thing that I could, and it did really thicken up over the wintertime. Mm-hmm. And I wound up putting it in a bottle, uh, like a water bath, as if you were That's like. That's the best canning. way to do it. Yeah, Okay, a water so bath. I didn't ruin my honey. No. Oh,
1: no okay. No. You're not getting it hot enough. <sighs> you really got to get, unless you get about like 120, 130, 140, you're really starting to hurt it. But okay, the hive. We put like thermometers in the hive because we, out of curiosity, for one, two, we had to do it because we need to check like our incubators and stuff for our queens. And yeah, to like, make sure everybody's comfortable. Yeah, um, it, it's like a hundred degrees in there. So, I mean, it's very, very hot. In so, they keep the hive as long warm as you them. don't
0: exceed the temperature of the bee, you're pretty much set.
1: Exactly, exactly. So, and it, even that's just on a regular day. I mean, they keep it really hot in there. So, um, I, a lot of people get very upset. Oh, it can't be over 80 degrees. It's over 80 degrees in the hive. So, okay. um, really, you just don't get it above 120. I, my personal opinion is over 120. It starts, from what I've seen, if we accidentally, you know, heat something too warm, you can slightly notice a difference on about 120. Okay, perfect.
0: Mm-hmm. I am running out of questions to ask you, so I just want to give you an opportunity to say whatever you can about your business, but um, if you have any events that you're taking part in mm-hmm. or things that are getting your name out there, mm-hmm. I would love for you to have an opportunity to do that.
1: Yeah, so you can check us out on um, com. You can buy um, you know all of our honey from us on there. Uh, locally coming up, we have um, we're going to be at the Hillside Fall Festival this Saturday and Sunday from 12 to 5, and then after that, we're still at the Wilkesbury Farmers Market every Thursday, and then we'll be in Dallas Farmers Market and the Tonkannic Farmers Market until about the first week of October, and then we're done. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, like you said, you can come visit us directly at our shop. We do a lot of fun stuff here at Christmas. We have baskets. We do tons of gift baskets and small um, Christmas things, and a lot of just different stuff that we don't offer uh, all the time of the year. So you can come in here and do your Christmas shopping. Where, you know, we get pretty busy. And um, what else?
0: Other than that, like you on Facebook.
1: Oh, yeah. Please like us <laughs> on Facebook. Please like us on Facebook. www.facebook.com. Backsplash Perry Apiaries. Perry Apiaries is the name of... You know, our an apiary is also known as like an a apiary bee farm. is a is it's a, bee is a bee beekeeper. Yeah. Yeah. And my dad, you know, our family is called Perry Apiaries, where the beekeepers are to me. Anyway, and then you can follow us on Instagram as well. It's uh, Beekeepers' Daughters Honey, is what our Instagram name is. Beekeepers' Daughter Honey.
0: Okay, I will yeah? make sure that I link all of those in the show notes page, so that anybody who's driving or lifting weights or jogging or something like that doesn't have to be like, oh darn, I didn't have a pen. <laughs> like, uh, you don't need the pen. I got it for you. Okay. Uh, I guess that's it. So, cool. cheers.
1: Cheers, yeah. Cheers.
0: Thank you for listening to Drunk Botany. Visit us at drunkbotany.com to subscribe to the show for free and we'll join you next week.